Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye of the Duck early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all. Not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different. So your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hi, I'm Adam Volerich. And I'm Dom Nero. And this is a podcast about movies and the scenes that make them special. Usually on our show, we explore a film we love, a new release, or ask our guests to bring a movie they can't wait to talk about. But this week and throughout the months of June, July, and August, we're devoting our show to 20th Century Fox's Alien franchise. In this podcast, we search for Eye of the Duck scenes. An Eye of the Duck scene is a moment or sequence in a film that defines the whole. We've borrowed this idea from David Lynch. He says, when you're studying a duck, you can look at its bill, its feet, its feathers, but if you really want to get to know a duck, you have to look at its eye. Each week in this miniseries, we'll unpack an installment of the Alien franchise by finding its most essential scene. Welcome to Eye of the Duck, Xenomorph Summer. Alright, phase two of Xenomorph Summer has begun. Uh, We've finished the quadrilogy, the iconic quadrilogy. And we are now into the weirder (laughs) and uh, funnier and arguably worse phase (laughs) of the franchise. (laughs) And we are joined by uh, entertainment writer and culture writer, Emily Gaudette. Emily, our first question for you is pick a side. What is your side (laughs) between the alien and the predator in alien versus predator? Oh, okay. So I wouldn't have said this before rewatching the film, but it's so strong in me, the urge to fight for the xenomorphs. Like I, I, yeah, I, I think I need to grapple with what's behind that, but yeah, (laughs) xenomorphs all the way. I totally agree. Yeah, me too. Xenomorphs are like the underdog in this. <laughs> the xenomorphs in this, I mean, I, I, the whole franchise, they start defanging the alien in Aliens. And by the time we get here, it's just like, look how they've massacred my boy. That's what this is. <laughs> I literally have that written down as my first note. <laughs> There's a scene when the Predator is spinning the alien around <laughs> like a lasso. 
hitting him against stone pillars and then just throwing him like a big bag of trash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kept thinking of the like breathless description of what the xenomorph is in the first alien film. Like it's the perfect organism and you would not have said the same thing watching this film. No. In this, they they are relegated to um, serpents, which is like uh, not only offensive, but anatomically (laughs) incorrect. Serpents do not have limbs. (laughs) Emily, what is your history with the franchise? I know you're kind of an outspoken fan. Your Twitter avatar for a while was Ripley, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I um, I don't really know when it started, but. You know, if you have a gun to your head, someone says favorite movie, you always go, oh, I couldn't possibly. And then they're like, no, really? Alien is mine because for so many reasons. I uh, was into it when I was younger. I've written a lot about the franchise at different places I've worked. And on a personal note, my pet rats, I named them Ripley and Newt. Hell yeah. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm like all in. I'm inches from a xenomorph tattoo of some kind. But. Excellent. And now what is your background with the Predator franchise, the rival franchise? Oh, this one's much sadder. Not, I mean, sadder, like pitiful. Uh, I saw the Adrian Brody remake first. Nice. Because mm-hmm. at the time I thought it was a big deal that he was going to be like muscular and shirtless. So I was like, Oh, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll support Adrian Brody. You know, it was um, a big deal. To it be was fair. a big deal. It yeah. was. He was always playing like wiry, like nerdy guys. I feel like him doing predators is a direct, like inversion of his role in um, King Kong by Peter Jackson, where he's playing like yes. the writer who has to become the hero. And this, he's like, no, no, I'm just the big beefy hero now. <laughs> yeah. Wild that he hit that peak, like, muscle wise and then just was like nope not for me and didn't go back (laughs) but yeah i saw that movie and i was like gee these these predators are interesting (laughs) so then i went and watched you know the other movies the real movies i guess i don't like stand the predators i respect them and i Mm -hmm. i respect them even more i feel like there's a little texture after this one alien vs predator but i don't know no i my heart doesn't like sing when i'm watching them yeah, how do we feel about the Predators? We've never spoken about Predators, Adam. Yeah, I haven't seen Predator 2. I've seen all the other films. Predator is not one of my guys. You know, when like when Marin <laughs> sits you down and he's like, who are you guys? Predator doesn't make the cut. Is Xenomorph? Xenomorph, definitely one of my guys. I enjoy all you know, the films I've seen, but they have no place in my heart. I like them. I, I think they're fun, but that's kind of where it ends for me. What about the space jockey? Is he one of our guys? Interesting. Interesting question. I feel like you're, you're only allowed five guys, so I don't think I would have two from the same franchise. <laughs> so you had seen Alien vs. Predator before, Emily? I had, yeah. It was one of those movies that you like, it must have been on TV or something when I was younger. I was watching it this time to prepare and I was just getting weird deja vu in a lot of scenes. So I think I had caught a lot of it like syndicated or whatever. I saw this film in a theater. However, it does have big sci-fi channel original movie vibes. So it like definitely feels like the kind of movie that was made for commercial breaks and the sci-fi channel. I mean that as like a, a compliment though, because I have like great nostalgia for, you know, sitting on my couch and watching those movies. But Me too. That's a very specific art form. And I actually agree with yeah. you. Like the camera really doesn't linger at all in this movie. <laughs> like, I feel like an alien that's just like 
you get this sense that the movie is dripping with purpose, but there were several very dynamic computer animated shots of like moving very quickly through the tunnels. It's it's a different language for sure. Emily, as the host of the Fandom Files sci-fi podcast, as an employee of sci-fi, <laughs> how do you feel about a film being described as a sci-fi movie? I love that you asked me that because I had a thought and I was like, no, don't bring up your sci-fi affiliation. <laughs> like, it's, it's a safe space. Honestly, like, I think when people say, I'm assuming something about your comment, like, I think when people say sci-fi original, they're remembering the ones that were like, on when they were younger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not I talking so. about Sharktopus versus like Megalodon or whatever those were. I'm, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I wish that there was still a lot more of that programming where like there's no irony. The people who made those <laughs> movies on sci-fi when I was a child, like they were dead serious yeah. and it has a nice effect that way i think like mm-hmm. we talk a lot of, a lot on here about like earnestness versus irony and and i i older i'm getting especially like i'm really much more in favor of an earnest approach yeah i i respect it when i see it now that you say that what would you say the breakdown of earnest and irony is in, in, this, in this, one? this film yeah i think this and paul ws anderson's entire career is 100 percent earnest as, yeah, I was going to say that. As too. far as I can tell, the dude just loves to make like kind of goofy, fun <laughs> sci-fi popcorn films with his wife. Like that's his whole, you know, like that's his whole deal. He's like, he married his muse and they've made like 24 movies together and they're going to keep doing that mm-hmm. forever. Sort of a beautiful thing. Absolutely. I thought about her. It's Mila, right? Jovovich. Yeah, so I thought about her watching this because I was like, man, you could you could swap her in in this role. He totally. was really just riffing on the way he sees her, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in spite of this movie feeling very earnest, which is a thing I normally love in film, there is some sort of quality of this movie that makes me kind of just like tune out. <laughs> Did you guys have that? <laughs> like, I don't think much time had passed, but I remember watching and suddenly like coming back into consciousness and be like, oh, wait, I was watching a movie like five <laughs> minutes ago. Where did I go? <laughs> yeah, it kind of like it forces depersonalization almost. <laughs> You're just like, oh, God, <laughs> am I who my 12 year old self thought I was going to be <laughs> watching this film? I totally agree with you. I think. Maybe it's because they tend to discuss things that we pick up visually as the audience. Like, I, I feel like if you know anything about the xenomorphs, which we do going into this, you know what the deal is with the open rib cages. So to watch these people go, no, what could have happened here? It's like, <laughs> I don't know that we need those lines of dialogue. Yeah, it is the fifth film in a franchise in that sense, you know. And to go back to the sort of sci-fi channel original movie thing, a lot of this movie, I assume due to budgetary restraint, feels like a lot of this film is the moments between other scenes. One location, you know, they're they're limited in what they can do. There's all these scenes where the very large cast like just kind of sits down and talks about stuff. But it's not like an alien where the dialogue feels like lived in and like relevant to the world and, and ultra naturalistic. It's mostly expositional. It doesn't have the same kind of characterization and and feeling that those other films have. And especially the first film, which is the gold standard, I think. I agree. And I also think anytime in the alien franchise, 
when the crew sits around in a circle and discusses like the specter of that classic scene an alien is hanging over them all the time and these folks are like not really interrupted they're only surprised so many times yeah i've read that paul ws anderson was inspired by jaws and like wanted to reveal the monsters like very late on yeah he said jaws and then also alien itself and predator which both take about half the film to reveal the the creatures and so he like valued that restraint and he specifically was saying that the tension in those films comes from well you're going to see a film called alien you're going to see a film called jaws you're going to see a film called predator so you're going to spend the whole movie on the edge of your seat waiting for the thing to pop up and so i'm going to do the same thing here but it's like the approach is correct the execution is flawed well this film to me is a classic case of like uh, it's that thing in that Netflix sketch show. I think you should leave now. The, uh, the game show sketch where you know figure out what you do. Like what are, what what are you? What do you do? Who's the, the mascot's name? I can't remember. Uh, chunky, maybe. Yeah, I think it is chunky. Is yeah. I love that he says you had all summer to think yeah. of it. <laughs> right, so the sketch is like this mascot who is supposed to like do something within this game show, and he's he's kind of unrelated to the sketch going on, but it becomes about him. <laughs> and and the the host of the game show is saying you had all summer to come up with what your your shtick would be figure it out and in this film you think about jaws which knows what it is like right away mm-hmm. and you think about alien and that is like one of the most distinctive films of all time i think this film i i i mean <laughs> It's amazing that Paul W.S. Anderson apparently had been working on this pitch for eight years because, I mean, while it is very intricate and kind of like overwhelmingly dense with lore and shit that you don't expect at all, it doesn't really have like a cohesive, I can't tell what it is. Sorry, Paul, you have control of the board. Fourth throw, four down. Uh Uh-oh, it's a chunky! Oh, frick. Well, you ha- what's this? You have a bag? What the hell? That's my backpack. You went in the green room, you got his bag. What are you going to do with it? Hey, that's my laptop. Don't touch that. Put that back. What are you doing with that? Hey! Yeah, don't put that. No! Chunky. Tell him to stop. Don't break his laptop. That's expensive. Thank you. No! I just say, don't break his freaking laptop. You got to pay for that. I don't. I was just trying well, to. Don't talk. You can't talk! Chunky, the mouth on the... Don't come over by me! Stay over there! Figure out what you do! You had all summer to think of it! I actually love Aliens as much as I love the first one, Mm -hmm. even though they're two very different films. But even Aliens knows exactly what it is minutes in. Like, yeah, I just realized one of the moments I was shocked back into my own body watching this was when we get this, like, idyllic shot of the Predators on the pyramid and it's like the jungle all around i was like oh my god where are we it looks like do you know that game civ yeah <laughs> it looked like a commercial for civilization five <laughs> this film has very very dense lore which i love because i think for me the biggest thing that feels like a departure in this film from the previous four films which i think is what the two of you are saying is that all four of those films are very rich in theme and thematic intent that you can pull out of like every scene and you can find exciting and interesting things to 
discover there. This film, I admire and respect a lot of what it is doing. I think it is thematically inert. It like does not seem to have much to say about anything other than wouldn't it be really fucking cool if the alien and the predator wrestled? And honestly, it would be. That is the pitch for this movie is incredible. Yeah. I mean, this ancient battle within an ancient pyramid. You imagine if a director like Ridley Scott or James Cameron had tackled that idea, it would have been fucking amazing. But we did a, an episode here on Godzilla versus Kong. Yes, another great and, versus film. And that film, unlike this, I think really knows what it is. Yeah. I mean, it is about these two big monsters fighting. That's all it's about. It knows that's what it's about. And it doesn't really uh, beat around the bush at all. It's, you know, they begin to fight quite early on. And the cool thing is Kong in that film is really like a character. So we have someone or something to latch onto. Whereas there is kind of a, a character, this, this scarred predator, and there's this xenomorph who's got the the net like burn on his head which is very cool but like i i couldn't by the end of the film i was like wait was there more than one predator like i can't even remember there were (laughs) three i believe and they have names they do yeah i discovered that when researching the film that they had names (laughs) what are their names you couldn't guess. I mean, do do you want to <laughs> tell? I, I know. Yeah, yeah. Is it like Bob? <laughs> no. Well, it's funny that you said Carl. you said you said you, there's a scarred predator, and I'll give you. Yes. So his name, by the way, Dom is Scar. Um, Very good. And there are two other predators, Celtic and Chopper. Which, <laughs> like, were they just picking objects that they saw, or like basketball teams? I don't understand. And I mean, and I only know this from looking at the wiki for the film. Like, it's not. It's not in the body of the, the text in any way. But I bet you anything, I bet you the reason it's in the wiki actually is because these were probably not like character names, but they might have been code names from the creature designers when they were building the costumes. Oh, there you that go. Would be, that would be my guess. Do the xenomorphs have names as well? Uh, not I that I know so. of. And that is really an illustration of how they treat our boys in this movie. Yes. <laughs> they didn't yeah. even bother. This is really more of a Predator film than an alien film, which... I think doesn't make sense when you consider the idea that like Alien is the more popular franchise. It's the more financially successful franchise. This film takes place like on Earth with the Wayland Corporation. So it feels very much like it's in the alien world. But it's totally about the Predator and like their their whole thing. And you get all this Predator lore, which like give what you know you like it or you don't there's no there's dying th- for predator lore. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to get some more predator lore there's nothing i love more than lore about the predator um but there's no expansion of the xenomorph there's no there's no further insight into the lore or mythology of that creature i mean maybe because after four films we kind of know everything there is to know other than its origin but true I don't know. Yeah, it just, I don't understand why the choice was to make it a Predator first film. And I agree with you there, like it narratively, it's a Predator film, but tonally, it's more of a, to me, a failed shot at an alien film because the Predator films, Mm -hmm. they're kind of wisecracking a lot and they leave each other behind on purpose. It's just kind of like a bouncier quality to the dialogue. And this was very grim throughout. Mm-hmm. And it has resemblances of 
like a Ridley Scott kind of idea of, of yeah, these like dark corridors in a pyramid, yeah. which, I mean, we, we end up seeing that same sort of imagery explored in Prometheus and Covenant, which is kind of Yeah, funny. well, the a main source of inspiration for this and the original Alien and Prometheus was H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness, oh, yeah. which is a good, you know, resource for these films, which primarily at least initially were about sort of the horrors of the unknown. Like Lovecraft is your guy if you want to mm-hmm. talk about that stuff. But it's that kind of thing where it feels more, unfortunately, I think it feels more superficial than anything else. They've, t- it, You know, it's, the, it's an aesthetic choice more than anything else, I guess. This film doesn't feel like it's actually about the horrors of the unknown. Seven days ago, one of my satellites over Antarctica discovered a pyramid. Where exactly on the ice is this? It's not on the ice. It's 2,000 feet under it. Let's make history. Oh, my God. Whoever built this pyramid believed in ritual sacrifice. Did you hear that? So we're all team Xenomorph here. There is no defender of this film here either, is there? I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll, don't but, like it. <laughs> if we put it that way, like, I will play devil's advocate just for the the situation at the end where, um, I guess we'll call him Scar. Uh, <laughs> Scar is like, uh, you know, wordlessly says, you're a warrior and I respect you. Like, I don't I don't hate that development. That was cool. No, I I like when this film just says, you know what? Fuck it. Now it's a buddy comedy about a human and a predator fighting aliens. I'm actually into that. I had a very good time once the film started doing that. Doesn't really make any sense at all, but sure. (laughs) It doesn't. And and it just becomes almost like a Christmas movie at the end because they get away on like a sleigh. <laughs> they do. It, it did have like a goofiness to it. Um, I also like the line where he's pantomiming what a bomb is and then throws his like wrist bomb in. <laughs> the fact that he even bothered to like do charades to tell her this is going to explode was really thoughtful for a predator. It's true. I also like, I hope I don't spoil anyone's scene here, but I like that the film ends with the alien queen falling into the like Arctic Ocean and uh, just like descending into the, the void because that now leads me to believe that James Cameron has been spending all this time on the bottom of the ocean looking specifically for the alien queen. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> the, the predators also kind of look like weird in this movie don't they like the way that they are choreographed the way they move around they just kind of look like these like stocky like linebackers <laughs> which i think predator in the original predator is actually really imposing really intimidating he like towers and he seems like this you know force of nature both the xenomorphs and the predators in this film just seem like they're just kind of like little kids fighting at a birthday party or something <laughs> Yeah, I think the ease with which she's able to like shove off a xenomorph just didn't do it for me toward the end. Like just fell like a sack of potatoes. It was like, really? Oh, (laughs) yeah. They massacred our boy. I want you to use all your powers and all your skills. 
I don't want his mother to see him this way. Look how they massacred my boy. Yeah, I, uh, I also had a a little problem, I think, with um, the shot where I could only think of him as um, Spud from Trainspotting. Yes, you and Bremer. I love him. Yeah, he was great. He was actually great in this, but... Yeah, he is. That shot where he has, like, a couple bullets in the gun and he's he's like, oh, no, one of these eggs is going to jump in my face. By showing 90 of the eggs, to me, it watered down the horror of this one creature that wants to go down yeah. your throat, you know? They were like yeah. minions in that moment, and that's less fun. Also, they just, they did you and Bremer dirty. <laughs> like, that's a, they've massacred another one of my boys. There goes Spud. <laughs> also, Lance Hendrickson. Okay, yeah. <laughs> another one of our, of our sons who, I mean, first of all, him playing Peter Wayland in this film it doesn't make any sense at all. And the way that it's justified by the filmmakers apparently is that the Bishop robot that Lance Hendrickson portrays in Aliens is apparently modeled after this Peter Whalen. It would be like Elon Musk like making an well, Elon Musk robot <laughs> yeah. for it. But but that doesn't make any sense because we meet We meet that bishop and then we meet <laughs> we meet we meet Bishop the Droid and then in Alien Three we meet the supposed creator of the Android who is played by Lance Henriksen. And Alien 3 takes place close to like the year 3000 from my research. And this film takes place in the year 2004. And Lance Henriksen is younger in Alien 3 than he is here. So lots to unpack. So I was going to save that for the production history, but Anderson's reason for casting Henriksen was, quote, because he wanted to have a familiar face in the film, which... Sure, that's how that right, works. Right, yeah, except, except that, <laughs> sorry, just, just want to pause for a moment. Um, the film is called uh, Alien versus Predator, so I think it's safe to say that our two title characters have the most familiar faces and are the only reason people are showing up. <laughs> and then you bring up the Musk thing, uh, Dom. His exact quote is, it's kind of like Microsoft building an Android in a hundred years' time that has the face of Bill Gates. That was his justification. Right. <laughs> Oh, my God. It's also really funny. I'm sure you're going to get into this in the production history, too, Adam. But the fact that they asked Sigourney Weaver if she wanted to be involved and she didn't. I mean, she basically said, like, no, fuck you. I hate you. (laughs) Well, you know, as we talked about in our Alien 3 episode, the one of the reasons why she wanted them to kill off Ripley was because she had heard rumblings that Fox was developing Alien versus Predator and she had no desire. She was like, I don't want to be in that. There can't be any room for me to be in that film. You need to kill me right now. I'd rather die. (laughs) Literally rather die. Yeah, I'll swallow the the money I would have made. I don't need it at this point. Yeah. I mean, I can't I can't blame her. They would have oof. I can stomach them maybe massacring my boys in the sense that the xenomorphs <laughs> are my boys, but I would not have been able to stomach much more like degradation of Ripley. Ag- agreed. She's a saint. Also, Ellen Ripley would have been like negative <laughs> a thousand years old in this film. <laughs> yes that wouldn't have worked so emily you're joining us i think for the first episode of xenomorph summer where we unanimously hate the film i don't hate it i don't hate any movie i would say that of the five we've discussed so far it's my fifth fave this is my sweet spot man like movies that 
Like I said, movies that you see them on TV when you're flipping channels and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll sit through this. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather think about a movie like this than something like the first Alien again. Like my fandom is too earnest, I think, for the core franchise. It wouldn't be interesting to listen to. But for this, I'll like play around. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Before we get into production history, I just have one last question. Um, Have either of you seen a short film called Batman Dead End. No. I feel like I have. I feel like you sent it to me at some point. I probably yeah. sent it to you. <laughs> there was this like idyllic time in the early 2000s when there were like fan films online for the first time. I don't know if you guys remember. And yeah. you would watch a fan film and be like, wow, I've never seen a Stormtrooper outside of a Star Wars like produced film. How cool is that, that these fans got together and made something? And some of these fan films are actually cool. There's this film called Batman Dead End that I was obsessed with when I was a kid that is uh, Batman goes out to chase down the Joker and they get into an altercation in an alleyway. Oh, yes, I remember this three red dots, Three red <laughs> dots show up on Batman's head. <laughs> And he looks up to find a predator, the predator who is in like full, like really great makeup. I think the story behind is, is someone who worked in like the stunt department or or effects department made this, the predator jumps down him and Batman get into a fight. And then I think the predator uh, has Batman pinned down or something. He beats Batman and then a bunch of xenomorphs jump, (laughs) show up. (laughs) On a fan so, film budget, what do the xenomorphs yes, look like? They look fucking great. I mean, I have to say, they, again, this idyllic time when like some of these fan films, I'm sure there's still good fan films, but this one was a special one. It premiered at San Diego Comic-Con and it's like this beloved short film. To me, that is the best thing to come out of Alien vs. Predator, and I encourage you all to watch it. We'll That's put it your in the ideal. Show notes. We, we should do a whole episode of this podcast on Batman Dead End because it's so fucking good. <laughs> Man, yeah, you sold me on it. I believe it. That yes, even that elevator pitch was a more interesting <laughs> like flow of information than in this film. <laughs> That's why you'll never kill me, bats. You made me. Daddy. Criminal scum like you made me. (laughs) You're going back to Arkham. Okay, today we are talking about Alien vs. Predator, written and directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, starring Sinar Lathan, Lance Hendrickson, Raoul Bova, and Ewan Bremer. Shot by David Johnson, who had worked with Anderson on Resident Evil. Released August 13th, 2004 on a budget of $60 million, it pulled in $80 million domestically and around $177 million worldwide. After Alien Resurrection, James Cameron and Ridley Scott began working on a fifth Alien film, but Cameron told Ain't It Cool News that he and Scott cancelled the project when they learned that Fox was also developing AVP. He believed it would devalue the franchise and make his film 
worthless. However, after seeing the film, he later called it his third favorite of the five then-released films. Scott, on the other hand, told Empire Magazine that he didn't watch the film, reportedly laughing and saying, no, I couldn't do that. Fox sought to develop Alien vs. Predator after the success of a crossover comic book of the same name, and as we all know, a xenomorph skull was featured as an easter egg in Predator 2, paving the way for franchise crossover potential. Electronic Gaming Monthly reported that development began in 1994, but the project was delayed to make way for Alien Resurrection. In the director's commentary, Anderson says that he pitched a story he spent eight years working on, as well as concept art, to producer John Davis, who loved the idea. IGN reported in 2002 that Anderson's pitch involved humans attempting to lure predators to Earth using xenomorph eggs. That idea was eventually abandoned. Anderson, like O'Bannon before him, drew on H.P. Lovecraft, specifically at the Mountains of Madness, which was later also cited as a chief influence for Ridley Scott's Prometheus. After seeing a teaser trailer for Alien 3, which had referenced Earth as the setting for the film, Anderson became obsessed with the idea of his film being set there as well. The remote Arctic setting for the film was chosen specifically to avoid contradicting the canon of either franchise. The pyramid setting itself is loosely based on some unused concept art for the original Alien by artist Ron Cobb of an ancient temple filled with hieroglyphics of xenomorphs, facehuggers, and eggs. Anderson said he was inspired by video games and wanted the film to feel as immersive as a game. He also drew influence from both the Alien and Predator franchises, in particular those films restraint at revealing their title characters. He wanted to make a movie that similarly held back the monsters and left the audience on their toes waiting for them to pop up. Anderson also noted that he thought Alien Resurrection's reveal of the Alien Queen so early in the film was its fatal flaw. So as, as we already said, Weaver chose not to appear in this film, but Anderson told filmfocus.co.uk that Arnold Schwarzenegger considered a cameo as Dutch in the event that he lost his recall election for governor. Uh, however, he won, uh, continued being the governor of California, and avoided this film entirely. <laughs> it's politics. <laughs> so you can thank Republican voters for that. Production took place in Prague due to budgetary reasons, and the pyramid set was constructed at Barandov Studios. Miniatures were used for both interior and exterior effects, and generally practically effects were favoured whenever possible. Franchise veterans Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis returned for the film's creature effects. New xenomorph puppets with hydraulic skeletons were often used instead of actors in suits. This allowed for faster practical motion of the alien, and helped Anderson avoid overusing CG. In his commentary, he said that all in all, roughly 70% of the film's effects were achieved practically. The film was released August 2004 to generally negative reviews, but its global box office revenue of $177 million made it the highest grossing film in either Predator or Alien franchise at the time, and paved the way for a sequel, Alien vs. Predator Requiem. And that is the, the brief history of Alien vs. Predator. Normally I, I have much more information to share, but there are... Several different versions of this film available on Blu-ray, and I accidentally bought the one that had no special features. So I had to piece this together using, <laughs> um, you know, whatever articles I could find online, many of which are only available through the Wayback Machine, because oh, this wow. is a movie that people apparently don't want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> the film that time forgot. <laughs> wow. So yes, the most profitable Alien film or Predator film of all at, time. At that time. Prometheus did unseat this because um, it pulled in almost half a billion worldwide. Wow. Is that, is it weird that that surprises me? I don't know. I, I'm i kind of stunned by that. That Prometheus? Oh, no, no. That this film outsold yeah. all the previous films. I'm very surprised by that myself. It's the versus thing. People love a crossover yeah. event. 
they just want to see the they want to see action figures get smashed together. Yeah, and I can't blame them necessarily. Yeah, it's but, fine. Yeah. It's it's those scenes in this film that were the most watchable to me personally. Yeah. <laughs> we were all here to see them fight, really. That's what I'm looking forward to most. And when they do end up fighting, I mean, it is kind of satisfying, but I guess maybe we all went into this with higher hopes of like what that would look like. I mean, seeing Godzilla fight King Kong, I guess was satisfying <laughs> because it was really interesting to look at on screen. It, I mean, they, I maybe because they have enough human characteristics kind of, they're kind of just boxing kind of, mm. it's hard to, understand like how the xenomorph fights because i guess we only ever really see it scoop people away or eat them yeah we see glimpses of it and that's you know that's really it yeah i you know one thing that unites the two monsters is they are very good at tracking and following you know and we really don't see a ton of that it's the xenomorphs are not at they're a lot more out in the open fighting than they were in their previous films Mm -hmm. like i'm thinking of the shot where um scar is like picking them off one by one and that was just not something that was available to the heroes in either of the first two films at least yeah 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 and the predators don't have to do much tracking because the humans are just idiots that are easy to take out anytime they see them you know it's just like oh there's a human boom dead and the and the yeah and the xenomorphs they kind of come to the predator well, that's the, the conceit of this film. And if, you know, people who are listening, you're already probably like about 40 minutes into this podcast. I'm sure you've seen the film. But if you haven't, just to kind of address like what the concept is here is there, there is this ancient pyramid, which is somehow both Mayan, Egyptian and Cambodian and other stuff. Yeah, it is, it is right. maybe the origin of culture. <laughs> and... It is revealed that I don't know, thousands, millions of years ago, the predators used to rule Earth. They taught humans how to uh, well, build so things, basically. Do you, may, do you mind if we just go out of like format order? Because this, like, my, this is actually my scene is the is the okay. is the reveal of the deep lore here. Yeah, go ahead. So, <laughs> so all right, yeah, you go through the lore. Yeah, then. I just I think it's it's it, it is kind of uh, interesting to break down yeah. Paul W.S. Anderson's grand scheme for this film. Well, so, you know, we, we talked about this this idea that Anderson is trying to mimic Jaws, Alien, and Predator with, you know, waiting so long to reveal the the monster. But he also waits until, like, well past the halfway point to reveal what the actual premise of the film is. And yeah. the way it's done is we we see the uh, Scar, Scar himself. We see this, this Predator kill a xenomorph and he takes one of the fingers and uses it to melt using the xenomorph blood a symbol into his into his skin and then raul uh bova's character what's his name um sebastian sebastian says to um lexi sonar lathan's character oh this is starting to make sense now um to which i say no it isn't um And then he he looks at some hieroglyphics on the ceiling and he's like, okay, so here's the deal. And we go back in time, thousands of thousands of years, and we see that predators rule the earth. They've come to earth. They're treating it as like this 
backwater slum and they're treating humans essentially as slave labor. They've taught them how to build pyramids. So this is like a conspiracy theorist wet dream where we, you know, seeing the, the ancient alien theory come to life and the predators have designed these, these pyramids that the humans live in and the humans willingly sacrifice themselves to be face hugged in exchange for the gifts that the predator has given them. Aliens come out of the dead humans and the predators use this as a quote, manhood ritual. So essentially, mm-hmm. this film is Predator Bar Mitzvah. And that's why this is my scene. Because Paul W.S. Anderson made a whole film about a Predator Bar Mitzvah. Okay. And this sequence is exceptionally done. I mean, there's some, some kind of dodgy yeah, CG. But the climax of this scene is a group of Predators on the top of this pyramid and an army of like seemingly endless CG xenomorphs running towards them, which Dom, you and I have talked at length, you know, about like, where would we like to see the franchise go? Like what's left? And and we've talked about this. And if you watch any special feature on any of these Blu-rays, they always ask the people, where should the franchise go next? And everyone always says, it's got to go to earth. I want to see a ton of xenomorphs running around earth. So Predator Bar Mitzvah, a ton of xenomorphs running around earth, Kind of fantastic to see. And then the uh, strangest reveal of all, which is that if the predators fail to cull the xenomorph uh, herd, they then uh, set off a bomb that destroys all living matter, but somehow doesn't affect the pyramids <laughs> at all. <laughs> and just kills, all, kills themselves, kills all the predators, and kills all the humans. And then Sebastian, sort of, we come out of the, the flashback and he turns to Sinai Lathan and he's like, you know, an entire civilization destroyed in like one fell swoop to which I'm then left wondering then who the fuck carved that into the ceiling? Where is like who <laughs> carved the hieroglyph into the ceiling that let you know that that was what happened? Oh God, help me. <laughs> the hieroglyphs are a little difficult to make out. But this story is all here. Thousands of years ago, these hunters found a backwater planet. They taught humans how to build and were worshipped as gods. Every hundred years, the gods would return. And when they did, they would expect a sacrifice. Humans were used to breed the ultimate prey. The hunters would battle with these great serpents to prove themselves worthy to carry the mark. Hunters lost. They made sure nothing survived. An entire civilization wiped out overnight. 
Sebastian is the uh, is the Italian character, right? Yeah, I guess he's Italian. Yeah, I in my mind he's like the cute one. I was waiting for yes. there to be something because he's the last one, and she has some trouble yeah. shooting yeah. him to put him out of his misery. But they don't really fully lean into that. No. Well, there's just that one scene, and I wanted to make sure I have a quick opportunity to bring this up where. <laughs> You have the one Italian character in, in any alien film for the first time, and you're passing this big moon, and he's like, look at the moon. Do you know what it's called in Italian? <laughs> and we're all thinking, like, uh, pizza pie. <laughs> big pizza pie? <laughs> look at the moon. <laughs> like a big pizza pie. But he says something like, la luna di cacciatore. So he goes, okay, cool. <laughs> I don't think an Italian person would be named Sebastian also, but whatever. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Wow. That sounds like somebody who didn't know any Italians growing up was like, what's a, uh, what's an Italian person? Uh, Sebastian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But yes, Adam. But yes, so th- this is my scene are, because it, yes. it, you know, it does pay off that, that one sort of little desire you have to see, to see the aliens, you know, overrunning Earth. It is fun to see that image. And Kind of like what we discussed on our resurrection episode, Dom. We were like, you know, well, how do you how do you win in that situation? And the answer is you can't. It's just it's just a suicide mission. You just have to blow everything up and kill everyone and everything. There is a payoff in that solution as well, in that you kind of know, like, okay, well, this is why they haven't done this yet, and this is why they probably never will, is because there actually is no satisfying solution to this issue. But again, most importantly, the reason why this is my scene is because of Predator Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> The, now that you say Predator Bar Mitzvah, which is just a beautiful thought, I I can bring up what I think I was missing from um, this film was that if so, if it is a Predator Bar Mitzvah, I would have wanted to know more about Scar's Torah portion. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> if, no, seriously, though, yeah. if I might, like, yeah. what was his? What does he need to prove going into yeah. this? Yeah. If, if they had had one scene of like the Predators pre-fight, and they could even do it non-verbally, that would have been cute. Like, show is Scar like yeah. the ditzy one like is he not so good yeah. at shooting is he you the know? runt or something exactly because yeah. he he essentially has the main arc here like mm-hmm. like Sanaa Lathan's character Lexi it feels like they want you to think she's the new Ripley but they do not give her nearly enough to do she has nothing like she's very cool and she's very interesting but her arc has really nothing to do with her character like the only thing we really get is Okay, her father was also a, a like a mountain climber, and he he died by like overextending himself in order to like reach a, a, a peak of a mountain, and and you know they had a final drink together, and and I'm like, okay, there's something there, but I don't feel it in any of the decisions she makes or like how she operates or what she does, and it's a bummer because there should be more for her to do. Also, I just think in, it's it's also worth noting that like she's a fantastic actress um i don't know if, if yeah, anyone's seen like love and basketball like she is so good and the fact that she hasn't had like a huge career after that is like a travesty but like i don't know i would i i would be down for an alien film starring her it just you yeah, know like too. She, she's great i mean the way where they leave her in the end of this we don't really understand how she feels about any of it i mean she yeah. had one one of her arms is an alien mouth <laughs> Which 
is the coolest fucking thing yeah. in the world. An alien head is like her punching glove, her mm-hmm. boxing glove. And she never uses it. Not once. Like yes. she has this incredible like alien mega man, like uh, <laughs> it's uh, the buster uh, hand. Yeah. yeah. And, and she never uses it. Her other, and her other hand is a spear made from an alien tail. She, she kills several xenomorphs and kills the alien queen with one in, in one shot on her first try. <laughs> and then the predators award her like the honor. She's an honorary predator. She gets this really cool staff and then the ship flies away and that's it. And like, did she also, she, now she's just going to be stuck in the ice by herself without like a, a, a jacket. That's one. Wow. Point. I hadn't even considered that. <laughs> I hadn't either. Also, did, did, did she achieve any sort of character fulfillment? I mean, what, did, did her life lead to this moment that she knew she was going to become an ancient uh, hunting alien or... The, the fact that the answer is no for me actually leads like it's I have to take it too because it's a great segue. My scene okay. is uh, when the predator scar takes off his helmet. So we see his face and there's this wordless like moment of understanding between them. But the fact that I was unable to read any intention in his eyes to me was the ultimate like illustration of this movie as a whole it, they they have a moment he burns a symbol into her face making her one of them yeah that's never gonna go away yeah <laughs> like, that's gonna be on her face forever but the fact that she is such a talented actress it's like she i don't know what she is emoting in that moment it's not really relief it's not really like pride that it's it's that wordless exchange of like meaningful looks between this human woman and a predator and the fact that i cannot even begin to guess at the subtext (laughs) that is my scene The other thing about the the scarring of her face, though, is that, like, I don't want to just be, like, fanboy continuity person, but we've seen that blood, like, one drop of it melt through, like, multiple floors of spaceships and buildings. And then it's like, no, no, it's just a little scratch. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It burns her own piece of clothing off, like, just after that. Yeah, it's true. Let's just let's just address this. Let's just let's just do it right now. Are that is there is there romance going on here between them? We all want to know. <laughs> Are they? Did is that is that what that look is? 
I mean, I think the way his like pincers were moving around, he <laughs> was, quiver. he was, yes, yes. They were quivering with hope. Maybe. <laughs> what? No kiss. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily, you were saying that, um, his eyes were not expressive during, during that moment. However, the moment that the alien queen shows up, his whole face goes bonkers. It's amazing. <laughs> it's yes. like Walter Matthau at the end of the taking of Pelham 123. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, extreme predator acting happening right there. Yes. And I, lo- I also love the shot. Maybe ironically love it where she's running from the queen and it's just busting through these, like, what are those structures? Just like scaffolding that was up on the surface. Well, yeah. So, did either of you watch uh, the um, extended R-rated cut, or did you watch the theatrical one? Theatrical. I watched theatrical. So, in the in the extended R-rated edition, the opening scene of the film is set in that town in 1904, and so it is a it's an old whaling village, and we we see like a a man running through the the town, and he's completely alone, and he's terrified, and we then get the reveal of the predator and you think that the predator is, you know, trying to kill this guy. And then you get the reveal of the xenomorph and you realize that this person is just caught in the crossfire of the last predator bar mitzvah. And that's, you know, when they, when they're in the temple later and he's referencing, you know, Oh, it's 2004 now. And the the clock in here reads 1904. This is a centennial ritual that that takes place. So all of the stuff that they are Mm. bashing through in that final sequence is all just the, what's left of this town. I see. Oh, huh. It's funny that they, without that context, I, I sort of just accepted that they went up into a decrepit old European looking <laughs> yeah. village. Like, huh. I think I was like dissociating again in this moment. Cause I remember seeing the queen and being like, wow, the queen actually looks pretty good in this film. We finally get to see it in like full speed. The queen does look cool. In Cause this in film. aliens, mm-hmm. yeah, in aliens, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's cool how they do it in aliens, but it's clearly just like a puppet in happening there. In this, it's like, wow, they did full speed, full power queen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess she is crashing through a town. I did get a jolt of excitement the first time when the queen like gets herself free of those gross like like cattle type things yeah. holding her against the ceiling and it's from shot from behind as she's running down a dark corridor that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean this film goes out of its way to put us on the side of the xenomorphs, doesn't it? Maybe it doesn't know that it's doing that, but you know, you see the queen they're like milking the queen, which seems horribly uh, like sad and brutal. Mm. I mean, we, you know, the xenomorphs are, are these terrifying, grotesque creatures, but I guess we have a sense of like, they have like dignity or something. <laughs> I mean, they're like, yeah, as you said, like perfect specimens. And then we get the idea, we get, we, we discover that the predators just use the xenomorphs. They, they, uh, they fodder. grow them. Yeah, they're cannon fodder. Yeah. They, they breed them so that they can fight them and yet have their like their bar mitzvah ceremony. So the whole time, like we're like, fuck the predators. What the hell? Like, I don't love the xenomorphs, but that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, I, I think it's also like they are the, we're being used the humans too. Right. So right, we're the yes. hosts. It, we're living on the same like um, farm in this film. So right. we're kind of, in the same boat in a way and yet we like 
choose the predators as our ally because I guess it's like human hubris. We're like, we should be up there with the hunters. We're not like them, like the xenomorphs. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, yeah, yeah, there's that, that scene where, again, the one Italian <laughs> character in the Alien franchise, he doesn't say the line from The Godfather. I had to look it up. I thought it was. He said, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think the line in The Godfather is, uh, keep your friends close and your enemies closer, I think. But I thought it was very funny then. <laughs> in, in my mind, he's, he's calling back to The Godfather as an Italian. But you're right, though. In, if anything, the xenomorph and the humans should team yeah. up because... Because the predator is both their enemy. Yeah, you know, yes. the predator is they lining up the us. humans to get killed by the aliens to you know you know to to be killed through the alien life cycle so that they have something else to kill. Why do they team up with the predator? That is this the central question that I can't get out of my head with this. I film. guess because they're more humanoid. Yep, I was going to say that. No, but they they justified in the film. I mean, they don't say that, right? They, don't they make an effort to justify it? The, the the reason why is because if the predators fail to kill all of the xenomorphs, then the xenomorphs will destroy all life on Earth. Oh, like it's it's it's, it's like that. I mean, this is the plot of every alien film. Like there shouldn't be aliens. Oh no, someone made an alien. Well, I guess we all have to team up to kill all the aliens before they kill everything. So, the humanoids, the hunters, they brought those creatures here to hunt, and they use us like cattle. We're hosts for them to breed in. The heat bloom was designed to lure us down here. This whole thing was a trap. Without us, there could be no hunt. I guess what I was alluding to earlier when I said I am usually on the side of the xenomorphs is one of my favorite things about the Alien franchise is it's the human's fault. It's sort of, it, mm-hmm. you, you can get to a mindset by the end of the first film where you're thinking, well, you know, we did what we could do with our time. And maybe this organism is so pure that it deserves to kill us off. You know, it's it's all about humans f- screwing over each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in this film, the humans are still holding on to our existence despite the fact that it's like arguably logically more flawed than a xenomorph society. Yeah, I guess so. The other thing that I thought about was in the second film, there's so much about Ripley being a mother figure and then the queen being a mother figure to her eggs that you have to respect the fact that those are its children, you know, at least on some level. Yeah. So it's the queen is watching yet again. She's watching her eggs be massacred. It's like hard to not feel anything there. I don't know that the film is aware that they are they are kind of building empathy for <laughs> the xenomorphs. Yeah, because I think they want us to be like, oh yeah, of course she's going to team up with the predator. This reminds me of uh, the first episode we did in our series here, where our guest Mia Vicino said, "Alien innocent." And in this film, yes. Alien Innocent. Alien is innocent. I mean, the queen was asleep. They killed. I mean, and then she was forcibly yeah. awoken in chains, forced to give birth. And then the xenomorph is just like, okay, well, I guess we're all going to run around killing predators because they're here and that's what we do. It's not their fault. They didn't <laughs> ask humans, to be born. Yeah. They didn't ask to be there. Sure. And by the end, when the predator is... <laughs> what did you say, Emily? That they, they're like sliding away on like a sleigh ride? <laughs> they like, are! <laughs> It's like this like incredible like diehard sequence of them like escaping and I'm not having any I'm not experiencing any emotions at all for them because in my head I'm like 
well, you guys did this on purpose. Like this is, you made this mess. Like I'm supposed to feel bad for you that the aliens are like chasing you away. Like, what did you think was going to happen? I don't care. I mean, I want the lady to survive cause she's cool, but you're right though. That, that would be like Ripley teaming up with Wayland. Yes, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I don't, I don't have any good segue into my scene, but I just, the scene that I have just reminds me of that experience of having a dream where you're like, you're flying or doing something really cool. And then you just do it for like a few seconds and then wake up and you're like, Oh, I wish I could go back to that dream because that was so cool. I had it for one second. I experienced like flight or something. That's how this movie felt to me in a lot of spots, especially in this moment when the, um, the predator emerges, I think, for like the first time really in its camouflage, like um, electric invisibility cloak and an alien uh, tail burst through its invisible stomach. Mm-hmm. And as the tail like cuts through the, the predator sort of materializes. And then we realize that an alien has just stabbed the fucking predator through the chest. And then we're finally, finally getting to like, oh shit, now they're going to fight yes, this is going to be great. And then we see them fight for a second. And like we said before, when alien just gets like thrown like a bag of trash. (laughs) And I mean, we do get that quick shot where both the xenomorph and the predator are in the frame, you know, side by side, staring at each other. A shot that is used in Batman v Superman, Mm -hmm. a shot that's used in Godzilla versus Kong. It's the 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 album cover for all of these versus films. Yes. And it feels good. It feels right. It's like these monsters would fight the ultimate hunter, you know, the ultimate predator versus the, the ultimate catch, I guess, the ultimate organism. And, but yeah, then you wake up or, or in this case, then you dissociate. And <laughs> <laughs> later there's an Italian guy talking about the moon or I think that the first half of the fight is very underwhelming. The second half, I think, is great. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's really, 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 really fun to watch. It's really well, it's well directed. It's well staged. It's it's well shot. The first half of the fight is, I think, really overlit and shot like almost entirely in close ups, and it feels a little bit like two guys in cosplay just like slapping each other. Yeah, that's what I was saying about the the predators seeming like big linebackers or something. Yeah, but it gets really good after that. Like after Sebastian and Lexi 
you know, escape from that area. And then they continue fighting. The continued fight is very cool. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we do get some we get some good Xenomorph versus Predator stuff going on in here. You have to admit. And and there's you got to hand it to them for the practical effects in here, which are very cool. They definitely made some advancements in the design of the Xenomorph. You know, they've got like really well articulated lips now and so so we yeah, get tons yeah. of close-ups of uh, of the lips doing all sorts of stuff. Quivering yeah. lips. And then, you know, the which is cool because in the way they show that a Xenomorph has definitely died is by showing you the lips finally stop quivering, you know. Most of this is practical, some of it is CG. I actually thought a lot of the CG held up pretty well. I think because so much of the film is practical, it's not the kind of thing where everything feels like flubber, like the the like when yeah. they are using, you know, CG uh, xenomorphs or face huggers, it's in a very cool, very real environment. It feels almost like watching The Mummy or something. You know, it has a you know, it's similar yes. kind of thing like, you know, people going into this this ancient tomb and and exploring it. And and the set is really really well done. Yeah, I was reading that the production design was usually a high point when critics were analyzing it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think also the use of, they were like CG enhanced, uh, I don't know what the technical term is, but m- m- not an establishing shot, but moving from one part of the pyramid to another very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. That gave me a sense of claustrophobia, which was pretty cool. Like we, yeah. I was aware that we were underground and trapped through most of the movie. Yeah. And I love the way the pyramid shifts every 10 minutes. That's just an incredibly cool addition to it where yeah. I wanted them to almost do more with that. I wanted more kind of like Tomb Raider-y puzzle solving stuff along with that. I guess you kind of get that with them opening the sarcophagus by turning the dials on that thing, but I wanted even more. Yeah. Have you ever seen Vincenzo Natale's Cube? Yes. No. And I, I've also seen Cube 2 Hypercube on Sci-Fi Channel about a hundred times. <laughs> was that a sci-fi original i oh, i don't man. know if it was a sci-fi original but it was one of, it was in heavy rotation and it and it was also super edited for tv so i've never seen the movie the way it's like the like, like the proper edit of it and there's definitely stuff that just doesn't make sense because of the way it's been edited for tv it would probably horrify you now if you watched the, the unedited version but yeah that's that to me is like a death-defying puzzle box situation that would have been cooler here i agree to enhance it just a little bit it's crazy that people seem to loathe alien resurrection but the effects i think in that film which is made you know years prior the yeah the the marriage of practical and and cgi in that film i think looks great doesn't it almost flawless yeah and in this it looks like it's like a few steps backward maybe Resurrection had a little bit more love and care from 20th Century Fox. I'm I mean, this sure. is also right on the border of like when CG starts getting really heavily overused, even though the technology wasn't ready yet. You know, this this early Threshold. 2000s period yeah. is is a is a is is a is a threshold. Yeah, the watershed moment on that for me is Scorpion King. Oh which, yeah. yeah, that was 2002. Yeah, that was like a shot that culture had not been prepared for yet when when the rock yeah scorpions his way in yeah this film definitely gives me major scorpion king energy like the rock as as like a clay 3d scorpion king that's kind of the feeling i have while watching this i'm like oh this could have been so cool (laughs) yeah i'm just looking through my notes to see if i have any other talking points and 
my first note apparently was all good movies start in the past, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is <laughs> a stupid comment. And also one that doesn't even make sense for the two of you who watched the theatrical cut. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who watched the stronger film though. From what I understand, the, the, the R-rated cut just has more blood and also it has that opening, that opening sequence. Um, I think they, they, they toned down some of, the, some of the more gruesome violence so they could get a PG-13 rating, which is also why it is the most successful film in the franchise, I would, I would say. Uh, because the other four films are R-rated movies. Right, right, right. Yeah. Someone was asking me which alien uh, cut to watch and in general, like should, should they be watching the special editions? And now that we're, we've gotten to AVP, it seems like for the most part, all the special editions of these films are like the stronger cuts. Would you agree? I, I certainly think so. Yeah. I've seen, I haven't seen the special cuts of all four i would say or all five but what i have seen yes i would agree with that i think it's just because the the vision behind at least the first two films was so specific or unique or Mm -hmm. just like well executed that you're getting more of the same rather than i don't know there's some purpose to to the additions Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I think so. And it seems like all of the films faced a degree of like uh, backlash from the studio. So The exception being Resurrection, the where version. the special edition is not a director's cut. And all, all of those special editions have an intro from the director, except for Alien 3. And in the intro from Genet, he says, I actually didn't need to do a special edition. I got to do everything <laughs> I wanted in my, in my original cut. But um, here's some alternate takes, because you guys seem to like that sort of thing. <laughs> Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Huh. I become more of a fan of Alien 4 every yeah. day. <laughs> Another thing I, I do like about this film is, is that despite there's not really being a horror movie, they do kind of, they do, uh, I think, an effective job of doing some of those like traditional sort of horror movie things. Like you even have a scene where Sinar Lathan gives them a rule, the rules of a horror movie, essentially. She's like, you know, we're not going to split up. No one's going to be a hero. And we're all going to stay in constant communication. And the moment they start breaking those rules is when things start going wrong. You That's know? true. And then she's like, we're not going to touch anything. We're not going to open any haunted sarcophagi. And then they open a haunted sarcophagi <laughs> and the predators start killing them. There are a bunch of moments in this film where things are explained in the funniest way. Uh, I'm, I'm stealing this, this uh, from... Um, the Screen Drafts podcast on the Alien versus the Alien and Predator franchises, which you guys should listen to. And we've had a few of the people from that podcast in this series. But Brian Collins on that episode <laughs> recalls this moment when the uh, Lance Hendrickson is showing them all of like the blueprints of the place they're about to go to, this excavation point, this clearly this triangular uh, uh uh, structure in the desert and he says uh, my my experts tell me it's a pyramid 
Yes, I wonder. I wonder what that is—that triangular thing in the desert. His experts is just a panel of people who knows about. Shapes. I'm the richest. <laughs> I'm the richest man on earth, and I have access to the most impressive scientific minds uh, known to history, and they have determined yes. it's a pyramid. <laughs> Seven days ago. One of my satellites over Antarctica hunting for mineral deposits discovered a sudden heat bloom beneath the Earth, which outlined this. The red lines indicate solid walls. Through thermal mapping, we've generated a rough three-dimensional image of the structure. It's massive, containing hundreds of rooms, all built around a central core. My experts tell me it's a pyramid. What they can't agree on is who built it and when. One expert tells me this has features reminiscent of the Aztecs. Another tells me it's probably Cambodian. What they all agree on is that the smooth side is definitively Egyptian. I think your experts are right. Which one? All of them. Meaning what exactly? This pyramid contains the features of all three cultures. This might be the first pyramid ever built. But built by whom? By the first civilization. Thank you. Dom, I, I was realizing while watching this, I remembered that in our introductory episode, you were asking me what I knew of these films, and I said the only thing I remembered was some guy talking about pyramids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it turned yeah. out to be Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes wow that was all you remembered about these films that was it. that's the only thing <laughs> well that he's like it somehow predates yeah, yeah all it was specifically that it was a guy being like it's it's not one culture it's all of them it's cambodia like i, I remember that specifically wow well, that tells me i feel like that's a corner puzzle piece of who you are <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> to absorb just that information <laughs> one uh one thing i wanted to make sure i point out the last thing on my list here is that in each of these films we get a little bit more disgusting we get you know we get another Mm -hmm. element of like this grotesque like uncomfortably sexual creature of the xenomorph and in this film um we see that the face hugger we finally see the protrusion Mm. of the face huggers like penis mouth that uh, apparently goes into a person's throat and spits out some sort of uh, alien semen or, or egg or something. <laughs> we finally get to see that that uh, face hugger penis. That's true. That's right. <clears throat> Thank God. The, mar- the marvels of CG. We finally got there. Oof. I I think there was something extra creepy about seeing the face hugger inside a guy through the predator's like you know bio vision. Yeah, you're that right. was new too. That was kind of cool. I didn't realize it was like actively wriggling around in your gut. That's a lot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Although speaking of predator vision, uh, we also learned in this film that the predator can see cancer. That's true. Because it, oh, yeah. it chooses to spare Bishop because it, or, or Wayland, whatever you want to call him, Lance Henriksen, because it realizes that he's going to die anyway. You know, it makes me want um, more... I, we said this earlier, but predator lore, like what, <laughs> yeah. what is their criteria for an acceptable kill? Like, yeah, I feel like it would verge, it would begin to verge on maybe a little bit of, uh, maybe borderline like ableism, sexism, yeah. eugenics. Yeah. Like <laughs> for sure. Like if I have a melanoma is the yeah, predator exactly. going to be like, nah, you know, 
Although I think by by virtue of all of us being on a, a podcast, we are not worthy prey for a predator. Yeah. <laughs> it would see like the podcast headphones like on our head. Like, no, nah, waste of know. time. Too easy. <laughs> it <laughs> would spare dorks. us and definitely not give us the badass marking of the no. face. <laughs> like, oh, man. You know, one thing I was thinking about was watching this. I think the predator in this only works if you believe that you would be approved by the predator. Like it's an mm. aspirational movie. Like, yeah, I, I have that in me. Um, and I, I yeah. just, I just didn't have a drive for that. Mark I was like, I don't want his stamp of approval. It does mm. fly in the face yeah, of good, like yeah. the, like what, what has, what makes Ripley work so well is her relatable, like layman, you know, every person quality. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we talked about that in aliens. Yeah. Of like, I feel like I would do those same things. I would, you know, I would strap a gun to a grenade launcher and just <laughs> save the kid because I'd have to. Like, what else would you do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then in this, I mean, even the way we are introduced to to Lexi, like, she is a super, like, like too cool for school, unbelievably well-equipped, you know, adventurous, like, mountain climber who is so good at what she does that she's sought out by the world's richest people. So she's already not... Ripley in that sense not that she needs to be Ripley but as as you say Emily like it's it's not necessarily relatable yeah that's a great point and I think now that you've said that out loud it made me think that moment with the predator that she has if she was framed in the beginning of the film as like antisocial or can't play on a team or feels like an Mm -hmm. outcast then that would have rang really great throughout that climax if it was like wow the my perfect match is this horrifying monster that would be great yeah because she because she has no arc really like she just has no arc other than surviving the night right again we're coming back to this figure out what you what you do (laughs) what what is this movie trying to do or say because I can't like grasp on to any single thing. I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. The, the main character doesn't seem to have an arc. And then by the end, escaping from this pyramid with the, with the predator has just so many confusing implications that I'm not left rooting for anyone other than, you know, myself for finally getting to not have to watch it anymore <laughs> when it ends. I mean, I'm, what, I'm rooting what for the rooting for? Um, chest burster that is a predator hybrid. That's what I'm rooting for. Oh yes. yeah. I have not yet watched Alien versus Predator Requiem, so I am interested too, yeah. to see what happens with this pred alien that I keep hearing about. Yes. Oh, is it, are you saying in my mind I'm saying predalien? <laughs> I think yeah. Maybe that's I don't know how it's pronounced. I haven't watched the movie yet, but I've heard of it. Of yeah. Pred-alien. I envy you guys. I assume that's your next episode. So it is. it is. Although why is it called a predalien? It should be called a predomorph or oh that doesn't sound good either. Oh yeah. <laughs> Pedomorphs. Pedomorphs. That's not good. <laughs> That's why it's called a predalien. <laughs> Predumble? I don't know. Yeah, none of them are, uh, none of them fill you with <laughs> excitement. Xenotaur. Yeah. Xenotaur, I like that. Yeah, That's something. the closest. Maybe. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. All right. Well, any final thoughts, Emily? Just, I think we hit it on the head, but. <laughs> Uh, I do. I, part of me was excited logically that this is like a final girl kind of story. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she not only a woman, but at the time she's a talented black actress who gets this like feature role. 
Yeah. Uh, but I do think she's taken out at the knees by making her like there's 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 no journey. She is alive yeah. and she makes the choices you know she's going to make and and then she's still alive at the end. So I don't know. It just goes to show like it's not enough to just slap a woman in there. You got you got to like give her <laughs> something to do. <laughs> My final thought on this film is that, you know, I think Alien Resurrection has the most slime per minute uh, out of any of these (laughs) these films, but there is also a decent amount of slime in this film. And in this Mm -hmm. film, I was left to ask myself, why do people keep touching the slime? (laughs) Every time they see slime, they're like, oh, I should touch this and see what it is. It's like, look at it. It's slime. Don't touch that. (laughs) There's also a lot of green, green goo, like the blood. Yeah. And it looked like Nickelodeon gack or something. <laughs> yes, it did. It's never looked like that before. Yeah. I mean, it was a good, good contrast in the image, I guess. <laughs> it's easy to see. <laughs> Some color. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, Slime and gack. We did it. We chose a side. And it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We want to hear from you. Tell us about your Eye of the Duck scenes. You can find us on all social media at Eye of the Duck Pod. Email us at contact at eyeoftheduckpod.com. Listen to us on all of your favorite podcasting apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Google, and more. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends about the show. It really does help. And Emily, where can we find you on the internet? Ooh, I am only on Twitter, and my Twitter is Emily G Monster. Great, and where can we find your writing? Newsweek, or Bustle, or Glamour, or Polygon. Basically, if it's about monsters... I'm working on it. Great. Nice. Thank you for coming and talking about these two monsters with us. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Dominic Nero. That's Dominic with an I-C-K. Keep up with my writing about film, television, and video games on Esquire.com. And you can find me on all social media at Adam Vole. That's V-O-L-E. And you can watch my films online at AdamVolerich.com. That's V-O-L-E-R-I-C-H. Our theme song for Xenomorph Summer is Lovingly Rip from Jerry Goldsmith's Alien Score, with some elements from Elliot Goldenthal's soundtrack for Alien 3 sprinkled in. Our logo was designed by Francesca Volrich and was adapted from an illustration by Rosheen Marsh. You can find links to both of their stores in our show notes. And the next time you watch a movie, remember to keep your eye on the duck. Next week, Phase 2 continues with Alien vs. Predator Requiem. See you then. Goodbye. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo, signing off. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye of the Duck early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin Podcast Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballin Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, 
But after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music.